Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you to join us on a journey into the crucible for a weekly or fortnightly celebration of all things Keyforge, its community and the excitement of discovery. I'm your host Ed Pocock and today I'm joined by fellow Archon and the architect of the London community, Steve Broder. Steve, welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me. So every two episodes we'll be introducing a different member of the Keyforge community, in the first episode with any guests, we'll be learning the story behind their love of Keyforge and we'll be inviting them to share their unique perspective on the game. For today's episode, we're focusing on the most important aspect to some of Keyforge and that is discovery. So whether it be for a combo, a strategy, a name, a house they love, everyone has a deck that feels truly unique to them. Steve's already teased his last week and today he's going to share this with us in a bit more detail. So for our listeners, you can find a link to the deck in the show notes. This will take you to Decks of Keyforge, which is a site where you can really join us in discovering the deck as we discuss it. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Decks of Keyforge, it shows you a bit more about the deck so you can kind of hover over certain cards to get a view of what they look like, how they play, you can see the different stats that go along with these cards. And these stats are never a, a clear indicator of how a deck's going to actually perform in the real world. There is no substitute for actually playing a deck to find out how it plays, the combos it has. But it tries to give you a fair indicator. So, so please do look at this as, as we discuss it. So without further ado, today's deck is Tripicus of Immagawold. And I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Brad Andres, thank you very, very much for making Keyforge decks potentially the hardest things to say in English. Um, so, Tripicus is House Logos, Sanctum, and Untamed. It is a deck from Kota, Call of the Archons, which was the first set we had. And um, it is, I think it's fair to say, unashamedly an Amber Rush deck. So, Steve, why is this your most unique deck? Uh, I guess the way I like to play. So I like to play fast. If you ever have played me, I will, you know, while it takes people a minute, couple of minutes to play their turn out, I will go, I'm going to play this, then this, then this, then this. And you'll have won. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it tends to be that people, you know, they finish their turn, you know, they have a drink, they look at their phone or something, they just, and they go, cool, what house are you going to, oh, there's already cards on the board. <laughs> and... It plays as fast as I want to play, um, so it's very much a me deck. You know, if you were to you were to you know play me quite a few times and you understand my play style, this deck couldn't 
be any more me than it, it wanted to be. And for those of you that have listened to our last episode, we found out that Sanctum is Steve's favourite house. This deck features Sanctum, I think, probably as the main house, the house you're going to be calling the most in the deck. And um, it, it features two of Steve's friend, Bulwark. And uh, Bulwark, again, is a, a Sanctum creature, four power, two armour. And um, it's, it is human nitrated. And it says each of Bulwark's neighbours get plus two armours with a, a great flavour text of let me be thy shield. So I think that sums it up. Steve said that he'd love to have Bulwark with him in a fight. And um, clearly he follows through on his deck choice. So Steve, how does it feel when you're when you're playing this deck? Does it just feel like a good fit? It just it's it's so weird to explain that you know you pick up a deck and it just feels like oh, I'm playing Keyforge, but this deck actually feels like is 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 my deck. You know, there's it might be deck similar. There might there's Amber Rush decks out there that are, might be better, but it just is a perfect fit for how I want to play uh, and in in card games alone how I want to be, you know, setting up for a potential end game, uh, which it it has a ways of doing. It has ways of I'm now winning. I've now won. It's not, oh, I have six amber. You have one turn to stop me before I forge my final key. It's, okay, you didn't stop me early enough, so now I've won. So let's dive in a bit deeper. Untamed seems to be the house that is synonymous with Amber Rush. Untamed in, in, in Call of the Archons in particular has uh, an array of different creatures that can get you get you past that six amber point and, uh, and uh, put your opponent under the necessary pressure. And uh, I suppose before we dive into the cards in this, one card I'm particularly keen for us to focus on is Fertility Chant. This is a rare card. It's an untamed card. It's an action. It has four amber pips on it. And its, it's, it's effect is play your opponent gains to amber. So it's very much a risk award. The art is amazing. It features a uh, tropical blue and yellow bird sitting upon a mound of different eggs. Some of them blue, some of them white, and some of them are glowing orange. Um, it is it is absolutely fascinating card. And so, Steve, what... what this card in particular, what decisions does this does this card throw you into? Are there some some difficult ones? Maybe there's times where you don't want to touch this card uh, this card at all. Uh, that you want to be holding onto it or finding ways to archive it, but it's not a card you ever really want to discard because of the power it gives you. It gives you more than half a key. You know, if you if you you need six to forge. You're already you're two away, and then there is other ways in this deck to get the other two. So, uh, you know, in this deck, in the untamed side alone, you with two cards, that's that's a key. If your opponent can't stop you, yeah, you give them two amber, but you're already on six. And you're supported here with two dust pixies as well, which yep. is the uh, common untamed creature with two amber pips. It's one power, and it's just a good card. So how do these how do these interface with the rest of Untamed for you, and how how do you play those to best effect? Uh, with Untamed, the way this wants to play is it wants to stall out with the Mamooks, so it has two Mamooks to cause your opponent's keys to cost plus two, so you know minimum eight if you know without any uh, altercation, so minimum eight for your opponent, but it still costs you six. 
that slows down the game so that you can start setting up your witches. Uh, you've got two witcher DIs, which allow you to reap and bring back cards. So you set up, you stall out as long as you can until you can set up the combo, have your two witch out and uh, two witch of the eyes out, play your dust pixies, uh, play your fertility chant, forge your key. With the two uh, witches, you then can reap, bring back fertility chant with one of them, play it again, reap with the other one to bring back key charge uh, and a turn you've just forged two keys in the turn uh, with how much this generates with uh, two vigors, which allow you to heal up um, nocturnal maneuver, which also, which gives you an amber, which gives you an, uh, an amber alone and then allows you to exhaust or, or tap three of your opponent's creatures. So probably the ones that are going to deal with the witches you can now exhaust and suddenly, yeah. you know, they can't, they, you, they have to you know, wait another turn before they can stop the witches pulling off the combos. So even in your ambush house, you've got ways of preventing the opponent from dealing with your board, which yeah. is super important. And for, for our newer players, Witch of the Eye is an untamed creature. It has three power. It is human and witch traded and it has a reap effect. Return a card from your discard pile to your hand, which if Witch of the Eye stays on the pitch, is insanely powerful. And uh, as you say, can bring back your Dust Pixies, your Fertility Chant. Um, and it seems that you're you, by that point, you're, you're racing ahead. But they've got to stay on the field. And yep. helping you do that, Steve, um, is, I suppose, none other than your, your, your trusted chosen house. main house. Absolutely. Sanctum. I mean, it's, it's worth saying here as well that Sanctum is not just helping your things stay on the pitch. You've also got 20 total bonus amber in this deck. And when I say bonus amber, we're talking about the amber pips on the side alone. So that's that's alone is more than enough to have three keys made by just walking through your deck. Again, this is a, a common theme, I think, from, from similar rush decks. But walk us through your your, your sanctum uh, house a little bit more, particularly on the on the on the defensive side, how to protect those witches. You seem to have um, six creatures that can really have a, a real impact on, on your opponent's ability to, uh, to gain board control or do anything about the things that you want to do on the board. Uh, I mean, with the creatures in the, in this deck, the two that really shine is one is my personal favorite, which is Anaphiel champion Anaphiel. Um, and, and for our listeners, again, that's a six-power, one-armor creature. It is a knight, and it says taunt. Uh, so you can be protecting your Witch of the Eyes th- through this, I imagine, and it gives you the ability to, yeah, your opponent's essentially got to get through your champion to get to them. Yeah, um, with him alone, you know, you've without immediate ball clear, he is going to take a couple hits you can't run at him with a power six because he will he will uh, you know kill the creature that's attacking him and still stay on the board uh but then you partner him up with a bulwark who gives the two armor so what the the lineup you want is a bulwark next to an anaphiel so you have a six power free armor uh, anaphiel and then you place one of the witches uh, on the other side of him <coughs> so that he is fully protecting both of those creatures and they're now both uh supported by you know another bu- a bulwark 
on the other side of the witch. So she's now a free two. So three power and two armor. So a cards like pawn sacrifice, which you sacrifice one of your cards and you can deal free damage to two cards on the board. So she can't automatically be deleted. Uh, those those two creatures with the Anaphi on Bulwark, you also do have a really... I do like the artwork on him, which is Frankus. So Frankus is a also a six-power, one-armor creature who doesn't have Taunt, unfortunately, but has a Amber Control ability, which is when he destroys a creature, he captures one uh, of your opponent's Amber. So he can come in, be protective of the witches by taking out anything that could get to her. So, for example, something like a Niffle Ape who can bypass Taunt with his ability. Um, if they haven't uh, been able to take out the Witch the turn they've played Niffle Ape, you have your Frankus out and Frankus goes straight for the Niffle Ape and also captures one from your opponent, causing them to be able to maybe not even forge that turn. And you've even got a couple of staunch knights in there as well. Just in case the... Uh... The four between the champion and the bulwark weren't enough. You've got Staunch Knight times two, which is a four power, two armor creature, uh, human and nitrated, and it says Staunch Knight gets plus two power whilst it's on a flank. So all in all, you're building up essentially a sanctum for your witches to thrive. Yeah. And uh, insulate it from whatever your opponent wants to do, I suppose. Uh, on top of that, though, as well, because you've what makes this deck super rush is you've got fertility chant in untamed, which gives you four, but then you also have virtuous works in sanctum, which gives you another three. So just from those two cards alone, you've gained seven Amber. Um, so it's not like your deck slows down. The deck doesn't slow down because I'm playing sanctum cards. I actually, it manages to keep up with the rest of the, the deck. Um, uh, and, and Virtuous Works is an action card in Sanctum, and it has three Amber Pips on it. That's all it does, yep. but I think it's fair to say that's all it needs to uh, do, particularly in a deck like the one you've got here. I feel it might, in personal opinion, it's safer than Virtuous Work, uh, than Fertility Chant, given that it doesn't benefit your opponent to play. Yeah. So it's a safer option. It's just maybe you, you sacrifice one Amber for it. Um, but then on the protection side, as, as Sanctum wants to do, it has two blinding lights, which if I feel like my witches might not make it next turn, I can just stun up all a certain house that I feel is going to get to it. Or, or maybe my amber I feel like is not protected, so I want to stun all my opponent's shadow creatures. Um, and you get an amber pip for stunning yeah. them as well, which is, um, you know, on both sides a benefit. So uh, the the last two cards in Sanctum are probably even more painful for your opponent, which is the harder they come, which allows me to purge, so completely remove from the game uh, a creature that's power five or higher. So if my Anaphials and my Frankus and my Staunch Knights are at risk, you know, potentially from, let's say, a Zeke's Dominator from Mars, who's a power nine uh, creature, I just remove him. Just get him out of the game. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, and I can then focus on the smaller creatures that they they, they start lining up. Uh, and then on top of it being an Amber Rush deck, it has one of the more scariest Amber de uh, Destruction cards, which yeah. is yeah. Uh, Doorstep to Heaven. 
Absolutely brilliant card. It's very... I've seen very so many versatile. upset games <laughs> seen from this card alone. It is the Jewel in Sanctum's Crown. Uh, it is a one-pip action card, and it says play. Each player with six or more amber is reduced to five. Uh, again, the, uh, the, the flavour text on this one is absolutely fabulous. We have the cities of Sanctum are safe, clean and vibrant like few others on the crucible but few are judged worthy to enter and um i think this sums up sanctum pretty well yeah you must have used this to great effect with this deck in the past i feel there are ways that this this you know you you stop fearing your opponent's shadow cards with that card because they go they steal as much as they can and then you go okay neither of us are going to have that amber and you just destroy all of it up to up to five, and you know if they've used a card that got them to nine, and they're you know they haven't they're about to forge next turn, suddenly so to go from nine plus amber to to half that almost and go to five and still be unable to forge is so destructive and and uh, throws off your opponent from you know because once you start getting to enough amber you start to plan for your next key and what can you do next turn and if you're then unable to forge and you've lost all that spare amber that you thought you were going to have at the end of the turn suddenly you don't want to burn your entire hand to get back up to nine because you you're then stuck if what happened what happens next turn when you haven't got that what happens for the following turns when you've used all your good cards and you, you can't do anything else? Uh, so it does it does throw a lot of players off their game, just that one card, because it's it's such a swing in, in what it does to your opponent. It's a real game changer. And we've spoken a lot about Sanctum now. Yep. And we've spoken about Untamed, but the eagle-eyed listeners or eagle-eared listeners among... Uh, among uh, among those of you who are listening to this at home will be thinking there's a third house that we haven't spoken about yet. And who are Sanctum protecting? Well, they're not just protecting the witches, are they? They're also protecting Logos and everything that want, that Logos wants to do in your deck. And it seems very much from a first glance that Logos is the catalyst for your your the reason why this is such a, an effective Amber Rush deck uh, with lots of deck manipulation and ways of finding these uh, these Amber Rush cards. So, Steve, tell us a bit about the uh, the Logos lineup in this deck. Uh, I feel the the card that makes this the, this uh, Logos house in this deck really powerful is the two uh, Ganymede Archivists because right. what they allow you to do is people tend to look at them and not really fear their capabilities of especially in Kota where archiving wasn't the most scariest of things because people tend to want to play their hand but being able to you know have two archivists on the board and I've done it before where I've had these protected for so long that I archived my entire uh untamed from my deck so all 12 cards from uh, from untamed were archived the opponent starts going. Okay, they get they've got rid of the, alch- the alch- uh, archivists. Still have my sanctum on the board, and then it's go. Cool, might go. I play my witches in protection. I play Snuffle Gator, who's a very uh, frustrating 
untamed creature to deal with because of his skirmish, which allows him to take no damage back. But these two uh, Ganymedes alone just... They allow me to get Amber from Reaping and then they start allowing me to start finishing the game, you know, by putting away the important cards. And there's a lot of discussion in the community about this at the moment, these so-called burn the witch cards, things, and that comes from cards like Witch of the Wilds, things that your opponent looks at and they think, oh God, I've got to deal with this immediately. And if your opponent is focusing on cards like that, then it seems that cards like Ganymede Archivist could go under the radar a bit. And it's 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 that it's that difficult to notice turn after turn. You're able to reap with it. You're able to archive a card, and then in no time at all, as you say, you find yourself with the whole of House Untamed yeah. archived, and you're able to uh, to win in a turn. Yeah, it's it because they're not elusive. They're only power free. They have what was considered in in the meta for for Kota to be not the most powerful uh, mechanic in the game, which was to archive. I mean, as much as archive was very powerful, it, it had more in logos. It was more because you wanted to trigger your library access and have this very big turn or with Mars, you had a card called Battlefleet or key abduction, which Battlefleet allows you to draw one additional card for every Mars card in your hand. So if you can archive five Mars cards, bring them out, play Battlefleet, um, you would then be drawing up to another five Mars cards. So in before it wasn't as powerful as it now is in uh, Age of Ascension, where you now want to be archiving because of the possible combos that are very strong. Uh, but it's also because you're playing your Logos cards, people don't, they start to forget that you, what you're doing because they're going, oh, maybe that person just archiving all their Logos cards because you have library access in this deck. They want a big library access turn, which is throws people off their game because they're like, they're waiting for Logos, they're waiting for Logos. It never happens. And then before they've even realized it, I, I call Untamed, pick up my archive, and then I go play my two Dust Pixies, play Fertility Chant, play Key Charge, and I win. It's done. Yeah, it's the end of the game and you've been focusing on the wrong house when you should be uh you should be you know thinking about what is to come and what is not what's suddenly missing from the board. Now you you've also got what uh what the Keyforger YouTuber Wazzy focuses as cheeky damage in this deck in the shape of uh a number of other things such as the uh the twin bolt emission and You've got ways of ways of getting rid of your enemies and what your your opponent wants to achieve in this. Um, yeah, I feel like one of the most. It's still a very frustrating card to deal with, which is Scrambler Storm, because I can now get as much amber as I want with uh, with this and play Scrambler Storm and not have to worry about such cards as too much to protect, which steals all your opponent's amber but six. I don't have to worry about the original bait and switch, uh, which used to be if your opponent was on zero, if you were on zero amber uh, and you played bait and switch, you would steal basically half of their amber. Um, 
So w- and, and miasma as well. Yeah. And, and for for our listeners, Scrambler Storm is a Logos card with a, an Amber Pip as well. Uh, very handy, particularly for this deck. Yeah. And it has a playability, and that is your opponent cannot play action cards on their next turn. Infinitely frustrating if you're playing against this deck. You've got a miasma in your hand, which prevents your opponent from from forging a key on their next turn by them skipping their forge forge a key step. Um, infinitely frustrating if if Steve, you you've then you've got you've got the ability to forge and they can't stop you. Yeah. Uh, you're also then looking at your opponent might be looking to forge their third key themselves. They don't have enough. They have a key cheat, which something which is allows you to um, finish, you know, forge your key. They might have their own key charge. They might get to seven amber on their turn, but because of this card, they can't even finish their own turn because it's an action key. Uh, key charge is an action, so it stops them finishing their own turn. Obviously, they might have other ways, but it stops them. It restricts their their hand by quite a by quite a bit given how many action cards are, are in decks and and uh there's also a bit of house cheating going on in this in this deck um, which is which is which is not only fun but if you've played a scrambler storm it gives you a lot of options of, of ways to uh, really close that game down so uh so so talk us through that steve so you've you have phase shift which allows you to uh Use a Sanctum or Untamed card. Uh, most of the time, I will use it to play out a Bulwark to protect something that's maybe been uh, maybe been kind of weakened. So I can have uh, one of my cards, which is called Bat Drone. Yeah. Uh, which is a two-power skirmish, and every time the Bat Drone fights, he steals one from your opponent. But he's only power two, so he... He's very easy to get rid of. He doesn't have Elusive, which stops the first fight giving him any damage. So sticking a Bulwark next to him, if I can, makes him a two power with two armor. So then if I want, I can start stealing Amber from you just with Logos alone. Um, The other kind of cheat that's in uh, Logos is Harland Mindlock, which is very fun if your opponent also has Untamed. <laughs> so the story behind that is, so Holland Mindlock is a power one. When you play him, uh, you take control of one of your enemy's flank creatures. Wow. If Harlan dies, then you return the creature. Um, and I had a game against a player who was very, liked to show off and liked to brag and was very much. And I was like, okay, played this deck, had two of my own witches out on the board. So my own witch of the eye. They played their witch of the eye, which I then next turn stole with my Harland Mindlock, stuck Harland next to a champion Anafiel, played phase shift to um, play a bulwark on the other side of Mindlock so that he was covered with two armor. Uh, Then uh, put his his witch next to another creature that had taunt uh, of mine. And then, so in my final turn, I had three Witch of the Eyes to reap with uh, and finish the game. Uh, and it just, uh, it just, Holland looks small. He's only power one. He has no elusive. He has no ways of protecting himself. But he can be very frustrating for your opponent uh, to have to deal with. 
so it's good fun so there's all there's also like little fun ways in this deck plays it doesn't always have to just amber rush and win it i've 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 done it before where i stole an opponent's cracking overlord <laughs> they weren't happy when they suddenly saw that so Grecking is a power seven disc creature where every time it fights and destroys something, that creature now joins your side. So I've done it where I then chose this as my active house, used Grecking to take an opponent's back drone, um, which is now mine. And when they kill Harland, they get a damaged Grecking and I now get a second back drone to wow. join my lineup. Wow. Yeah, so... It's there's lots of fun that this deck has. It doesn't yeah. always have to be oh untamed and sanctum just generate enough amber to win. It there is little cheeky combos and fun ways of uh, just throwing off your opponent. Yeah, causing as much frustration to your opponent as as is possible. Yeah. It seems, and and you know if it weren't enough, your phase shift can also get your key charge out of your untamed. Um, yeah. This this is for for our listeners who aren't aware. This is an untamed action. Play lose one. If you do, you may forge a key at its current cost. So essentially, in normal circumstances, you get a key during your turn for seven. Which from your deck, there must have been times where you forge a key. You're able to do seven. You forge another key, and before you know it, your opponent is 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 out of the game. Yeah, if you've got. Several cards. You've got uh, one, two, three. I mean, you've got three cards, action cards that give you amber. You've then got two the two Ganymedes that you're going to reap with to archive cards. That's another two. You then got your bat drone to steal one. Um, another important card you've got is Doc Bookton, who when you reap allows you to draw another card. Uh, but as well, you also have the Titan mechanic, who if they're on the flank makes your keys cost one less. So both yeah. players, they cost one less. So I only really need to get to six amber instead of seven to phase shift into key charge. So I can play my Titan mechanic down, get to six amber, and then go, okay, instead of passing my turn, I can then just go phase shift, key charge, uh, and 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 finish the game within, on six instead of needing to get to wow. that seventh that I might not be able to get to. I don't want to play against this deck anytime soon i'm gonna throw that out there but i have to say as well and 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 coming back out a little bit of the 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 focus on the different houses we've seen a lot of what this deck can do and it looks insanely powerful um but for those taking notes who are maybe thinking they're going to face steve at some point in this deck um it's also worth saying that it's had some losses in competitive play as well. Yeah. And, and Steve, where, where do those come from? What are the weaknesses of this deck? You know, how does it deal with those board wipes, that sort of thing? The the one big problem that this deck has is it's it wants to play every card once. So you never, it doesn't cycle through. You don't ever, you know, reshuffle your deck back, your discard pile back into your deck. Um, you you don't really reach that point because you've either won or you've been stopped. Um, uh, so certain cards, uh, more in particularly stuff like Spirit's Way, which destroys all power free and higher creatures, that will ruin the deck because annoyingly, Witch of the Eye, who's a power free, who is my kind of finishing move, is now gone. So I can't... Uh, I can't finish the turn that I want to. 
uh, and then it stops by having her in my discard pile. I don't want to be playing fertility chant because it gives you two amber, and it only it gives me four, but it gives you opponent two. And if I can't reap to bring back key charge with the witch to then finish the game, it's very much too high risk to leave your opponent give your opponent two when they then only have to generate four more on their own turn to then being a more compelling position than you were. So you are to a certain extent dependent on having that board position in this deck. Yeah. And I imagine also that comes with with other downsides such as if someone is to play a gateway to disc, which is a Kota discard, destroy all creatures, you gain three chains. Um, I imagine that's particularly effective at throwing you off your plans as well. Yeah, with no cards like Regrowth, which allow you to bring back a creature from your discard pile, uh, I've had it where I've played uh, someone and my first turn I played uh, played my witch, played, uh, played bo- uh, both my witches of the eye, and the first card that they, they the the card they straight away they didn't care they just played gateway and got rid of both of them straight in straight in straight did it in. and that was the only move they did that <laughs> turn so it was their it was their yeah. second go and they just went nope gateway to this took the free chains but knew that that had given them a better chance in the game and of course then they won because I have to start getting rid of cards that mm. I might want to use. But it gives them too much control. It gives it gives my opponent too much uh, amber as well. So we've seen what this deck's good at. We've seen what it's not good at. But decks are all about the moments you have playing them. And Steve, what what is the most memorable moment you have had playing this deck? Um, I think one of the most memorable is uh, playing this deck at a chainbound, which was one of the chain bounds I remember really well because it's probably the turning point for the community where everybody started to realize that, you know, they wanted to be part of the community and they played this deck and it caused such frustration, but also laughter and realization of what can come from this game. And people bring in their really good, what they considered to be really good decks. They would play and then realize that it doesn't, matter too much what you're playing because your opponent might have something that just that just does what it needs to do and in a four round tournament a chain bound three of the players were just like both smiling and frustrated because this deck did does what it does um and all three of those people are now like big people like you know big they they're really involved in the community now uh from just playing this deck and they realized that it was just so much fun that this can happen. And now when they see this deck, you'd see the kind of smug, the smirks on their faces. They're like, Infamy. I know what's coming. Yeah. I know, what, <laughs> I know what's coming. Um, oh. So yeah, sign of a good game when you can lose and have a good time. Yeah. And if that's what, I mean, playing against this deck, I'd sit there and, and think no way what's happening. Oh my God. It's exciting. Keyforge is all about that discovery side of things. And hopefully this deck offers that. So have you taken this to a vault tour, Steve? And and, and would you? If so, do you fancy your chances? I've not taken this to a vault tour. Well, I would have if I had gone to Italy. Yeah. Due to yeah. The, the... So for people that don't know, Italy had a very rush meta 
which was play every card as quick as possible, gain as much amber as you yeah. could. But I might not, wouldn't take it to future tournaments who have players who are now bringing decks that counter that. So yes, lots more removal. Lots more removal. I feel if this had a Vault Keeper, which is a creature from Sanctum that stops your opponent stealing, I would definitely take it because I'd feel comfortable having him safe on the board, not worrying about how much what my Amber is doing. Um, but because it doesn't, it lacks him. I feel like it would start to feel. It's also a slower deck because you tend to want to build up the win. You want to get to the point where you're you forged your first key. You've set the board up. You you can now forge both keys in the second in in the next turn. But against decks that have four Dust Pixies, where they play four Dust Pixies, get eight Amber in the turn, play Nature's Call, which returns three of them to your hand, and then next turn they play the next three, and you're already on two keys, it's not going to keep up with. Um, so possibly not to a Vault Tour, but for local stuff, it's always in my it's always in my uh, armory. To cause fear into yeah. the local players that, that already know it and have, have seen its destructive uh, yeah, definitely. prowess. <laughs> yeah. Firstly, thanks again to Steve for joining us. Um, it's been brilliant. We've learned a bit more about how to build a thriving community in the previous episode. If you guys missed that, go back and have a look at it. It's the episode previous to this. And thank you most of all, Steve, for sharing with us your truly unique deck. To the community now, let us know what you want to see more of or less of. We're at a very early stage here, so want all the feedback we can get. If you liked it, please subscribe on your regular podcast app. You can also find us on Facebook, on Twitter. You can email us at discoverkeyforge at gmail.com. But most importantly, if you think a friend would enjoy this podcast, please help them to discover it. Thanks again, everyone. 